Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good. I am your chief philanthropod, Jesse Ulrich. And I'm your vice admiral philanthropod, Chris Miller. And today we talk with three members of the Strong Tomorrows team. Omari Jimerson, the coordinator of social services for Tulsa Public Schools. Joy Cleveland, program manager. And Casey Hughart, the team lead. Today we talked for eight minutes or so before realizing we didn't hit record. After starting over... We talked about how Strong Tomorrows is impacting pregnant and parenting students in TPS. We talked about how their programs are supporting uh, fathers as well, and how they want to expand in more schools to help more students. And how you, our listeners, can help. Please remember to rate and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we can be searched. You can find us by typing in pod, the number four, good, all one word. We are also available on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, anywhere podcasts are available. So please subscribe there and please like our Facebook page. And like us. Yeah. Please, yeah. please like us. We're, we're really likable. Yeah. And enjoy this episode. Bye. So I want to welcome our three guests to the podcast today. Omari Jamerson, hello. Hello. Joya Cleveland, hello. Hello. And Casey Hughart, hello. Hello. From Strong Tomorrows. So, very briefly, Omari, can you briefly tell us what Strong Tomorrows does? So Strong Tomorrows is a program that supports expecting and parenting teens um, within TPS across the district. How does Strong Tomorrows accomplish their mission? So Strong Tomorrow's is based on four pillars, um, one being parent engagement, and they accomplish that by their weekly workshops, um, doing things like car seat safety, um, teaching them how to co-parent, which is huge. Uh, we also have health and wellness, which is making sure, of course, that they have prenatal care and post-medical care after having the baby, but also that both of the students have medical homes. The baby is um, going to their well-child visits. Um, quality child care. We partner closely with Educare and CAP for our students to have priority slots in there, but also it's more about teaching the students to be their child's best advocate, whatever that looks like, whether they want to go to um, an outside agency or have someone in the family take care of the child. And then, of course, graduation. Um, we want to make sure that our students graduate from high school and have a plan for success in life for themselves and their family. How long has Strong Tomorrow has been uh, a program of the Tulsa Public Schools? So we are in our sixth school year, the fourth school year, school year with the district. Right, ladies? I believe so. Okay. <laughs> so it was it a separate nonprofit entity for those first two years or? So when I started Strong Tomorrow's, we were actually a part of Communities and Schools, which is a national dropout prevention program. So it made sense because research shows that the number one reason why females drop out of school is because of pregnancy. So it just made sense to fit with the mission. Do you know what the number one reason? Boys drop out of school is? I do not. I'm just curious. <laughs> Statistics questions. <laughs> so you're all at different locations, but you're all a team. So how, how does that work on a day-to-day basis? So our schools are like our second homes pretty much. And we collaborate with the entire school staff every single day. And then we get together once a week, at least with our own team. So even though we're in different parts of the city and different communities, 
in different school cultures. Once we come together, we provide support to each other, promote self-care the best that we can. We talk about like, hey, did you eat lunch today? Or how uh, early did someone get to eat lunch today? Um, we're kind of guilty of that sometimes, not eating till like three or four or not at all because <laughs> we're so busy. But we just we're there to support each other as well as like staffing cases together, making sure we're using the most effective approach to meet student needs and also maintaining program fidelity the best that we can. Um, and so it's pretty, it's pretty fun uh, being together. A lot of the times Joy and I were laughing a lot together before this pad, this podcast. So like, just imagine the rest of the team, how much fun we have together, but also like, we're just a really good team. We support each other and we, we pride ourselves in professionalism and everything that we do. And also to be as student centered as much as we can. Do you all like have like a, like a, group chat that's going on is there like a slack channel like how did how are you contacting each other throughout the day definitely a group mm-hmm. chat right. and it's more clowning they yeah. work hard so they play hard as yeah. well <laughs> is it mostly gifts yes full of gifts yeah. excellent mm-hmm. that's what all of our group chats are like so it's very confusing so i'm curious does the support that you have to provide does it look different in the different schools you're in the different areas of tulsa or do you find that that everyone needs like certain support the same. Well, as long as it's based on those four pillars, mm-hmm. um, I think different schools have different cultures. And so as far as my management style, I let them determine what that mm-hmm. looks like for their own school. As long as they're meeting those best mm-hmm. practice outlines that have been laid out as a part of the program. But I would think even between Joya and Casey's school, it looks very different because of the culture. Mm-hmm. Joya and Casey, want, you want to tell us what schools you're at? I'm at Nathan Hill High School. I've been there since, actually, I was the first hire. So I've been there since September 2014. Mm-hmm. I'm at McLean High School. I've been there since, was it 2016? I think that's about right, that school year. So um, at McLean High School, I find I do a lot of social justice. So I go to DHS a lot to make sure that our students' child care needs are being met and also do a lot of home visits to follow up with the parents to see what kind of supports that the parents need in order for the student to be successful. So there's a lot of wraparound support that we provide the students and making sure that the resources that we are telling the students about, that they're actually delivered and made good on. And a lot of times with the Department of Human Services, we just want to make sure that because the student is at school and they may work after school, and so does the parent, we want to make sure that their documents are in for their child care and that things are just thoroughly taken care of. And so I really enjoy providing that extra measure of support for the students to make sure their needs are being met. So it sounds like you get very emotionally connected to the sort of cases you're managing. Is there a is there a concern that it be, you, you might get too involved, too emotionally attached to Uh, people in this program? Definitely. I mean, there are babies too, and we care about them. And we know that in a lot of cases, we're the only trusted adult that these young people have. But also at the same time, like we really check ourselves and the boundaries we have with um, abiding by social work values and ethics, because we want them to know we're there for them, but we're not going to be there forever because the participation in our program ends when they graduate high school. So we want to make sure they're connected to other support services like James Inc., Children First, or if they go along to TCC, get into TRIO SSS. Like we want them to know about the resources available to them because we can't be there forever. Even if we wanted to, it's just that's how life is 
Absolutely. And I would also say our program has a huge part of reducing barriers for our students so that they can be successful. And if we don't set the appropriate boundaries as a case manager, we become a barrier by enabling students. And so we really shy away from that and actually be vocal about it and let the student know when we're backing it up and when we're stepping in so that they're aware of the services we're providing and how we're providing. We're very transparent with our caseload. I think the team does a really good job of holding each other accountable in that way as well. Um, we learned really early in the program um, by bumping our own heads, me and Casey, that we can't work harder than the student. They have to want it more than we do. We're just there to help them. I imagine that's one of the hardest things to try to do because you want you want to help. But if the person the person is going to meet you at least halfway, then, you know, your energy can probably be better spent on someone else. And you know that they need the help, especially like the most. but. If they're not ready for the help, there's really no point in offering services because it's got to be a mutual collaboration because that's what our program is about is empowering youth. So that way they can live their best life, you know, moving forward, because like I said, success looks different for everyone, but there's got to be some kind of progress being made. And unfortunately, we've had some students that have stepped away completely from the program, but later on down the line, seeing them come back and and. When they come back, they have a much bigger setback that, you know, we have to help them problem solve around. But we're still here for them. I was just going to ask that if if there was a set time when they enter enter Strong Tomorrows or if it's whenever they decide they need the assistance and they help. So our program, um, once we are, are made aware of a student who is either expecting or parenting, we pretty much um, track them the entire time. But the student has an opportunity to fully participate or not. So if they fully participate, um, they're going to be checking on them at least once a week. But if they decide that they don't want to participate in the program, we can still check the background of like their attendance and grades and things like that. And so they'll just have, you know, a non-formal conversation with them maybe once a month. Hey, you know, I saw that you missed school a couple of days last week. Anything going on I can help you with? And in doing that, it was actually Joya very early on. Joya was at East Central when we started there um, where she had a student who did not want anything to do with our program, but conveniently hung around with a few other ladies that were in the program. And so after seeing Joya a couple of times, she finally came on into the program. And, you know, you can't you can't help them all. But eventually, hopefully, if there's something that they're having difficulties with, hopefully they'll, they'll come to us for help. So Joya is like the sun. She has a gravity <laughs> that brings people towards her. It's this all the glitter. <laughs> Rainbows. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the the history of Strong Tomorrows, where the idea came from? So about six years ago, um, Child Trends, a national organization, came into Tulsa and did some research on the programming that was being offered to support this population of students or teenagers. And what they found is Tulsa wasn't doing a very good job. At the time, we had Margaret Hudson, but Margaret Hudson was only geared towards one half of when it comes to teenage pregnancy and also um, require that a student leave their home school to be supported by the program. What we ended up doing was looking around the country for different models. And at the time, there weren't a lot of models, but one stood out to us that was going through evidence-based research, which was New Heights out of Washington, D.C. And it's basically where they take a case manager and put them in the student's home school to support the students. And so that's what we're modeled after. The big thing that we did, because Tulsa, of course, is big on high-quality child care, we instituted a dual generational approach so that we also help them support their student or their child as well. You mentioned that Margaret Hudson was only supporting one half of teen pregnancy. What is what is the support you provide to the fathers look like? 
So when we started the program, Casey and I were like, yes, we want to we want to serve dads eventually. But Casey was so awesome in the beginning from her previous relationships where she worked. um, She was able to quickly um, recruit a bunch of students. And what we saw is guys were even a part of the program at that time. And we really didn't have any plans for what to do with them because the long term goal was to bring in a fatherhood coordinator. But at that time, most of the dads that we served were attached to a female that was already being served in the program which was great. And then three years ago, we actually hired a fatherhood coordinator. Um, and this year we're actually, we're, we hired a second fatherhood coordinator. So they split the city into two quadrants and have schools that they support. And what we've seen now is a completely flip on its head. Now we serve actually more guys that aren't associated with the female mm. in the program, but we focus a lot on teaching them about what it means to co-parent and that you don't have to be together to still be a good role model in your child's life to how important it is for the father to be around for the success of the child and what that means um, long-term for them. We teach them about child support. And even though you're still in high school does not mean that you are free and exempt from that. And what are ways that you can start setting yourself up to be ready for that, to catch up or Mario Jones is our fatherhood coordinator, one of them. And he's been amazing and He's actually now become because so the whole fatherhood movement started maybe about 10 years ago under the Obama administration. But what we found very early on is most of the fatherhood movement was focused on like your 18 to 24 year old. And so it's more GED focused. Mm-hmm. So we we've been partnering with the National Fatherhood Institute and they actually reach back out to Mario a lot to get his input on the the different curriculums that they have and how they're working with the teen dads and and there's a lot of changes that need to happen because we're, like Casey said, very student centered. And so some of the things are shame based, but I like the fact that they're listening to Mario and making adjustments to move forward in that way. So you said there you're going to have two or you currently have two fatherhood coordinators. Well, we just hired One. the second. OK. And they're, they're splitting the city up in half. Mm-hmm. How does it work for for you two over here where I know there are more high schools than you have coordinators for? So how do you. What happens if there's a student at a school that you're not at? That's another thing that we staff together. Like who has the ability to expand services to another site? Some of us do work at multiple sites. I do not. But we have people on our team who work at two or three sites. Um, They might have smaller numbers at each site or they might have equal numbers like we learned today. Um there's two schools we know that are growing at the same time and one person serving them. But with the fatherhood coordinators, they float to a different school every single day. So they're pretty much splitting up the caseload between the dads. But those of us who are at the site full time or more than the fatherhood coordinators, we're there also to support the dads. And they'll have their own fatherhood workshops, but also they're invited to our workshops as long as they feel comfortable. Sometimes they'll try to ask, do I really need to be at the labor and delivery workshop with the registered nurse? And we're like, yes, (laughs) it's going to be very graphic, but very informational. And you need to learn about these things. Um, But like all of our workshops are voluntary, so it's their choice. So you you mentioned some of the um, workshops and things that you do. So what are what are some of the other ones that, that you do? And do you bring in volunteers to teach those or how does that work? 
Yes. So we work very closely with our community partners. Like right now, McLean is doing the love notes with the Tulsa Health Department, which is a healthy relationship curriculum. So they come in and teach the students about that. We work very closely with the Parent Child Center. I know Miss Mildred comes in and does Period of the Purple Cry teaching with some of our students. We have Car Seat Safety. We have WIC comes in and they'll teach about the components and aspects of WIC. Um, we have representatives that come from some of the daycares that we work at um, in the community with, like Educare. We have a lot of them that come in. What are some of the other ones? Um, I covered Abriendo Puertas, which is it means opening doors. It's a Latino family engagement curriculum, but it's universal to all ethnicities and cultures. So like we covered brain development and other development areas um, for about four weeks and they were really into it and they Mm -hmm. knew a lot more than I expected them to know. So I was like, thank you for paying attention and for like (laughs) helping me teach the class. So that way we can incorporate like how important brain development is, how it's connected to family literacy and the talking is teaching campaign, and then give them some books to take home for their babies. Uh, We just finished up a fun workshop thanks to our counselor who retired last year, but she's volunteering this year, Mrs. Wrightmuth. She actually donated um, fabric to make fleece blankets. So she was like teaching the moms and dads at Hale how to make blankets for their babies. And I loved watching them because they were like really into it, taking their time. And then when they finished, I would take pictures of them and they were so proud. And so we like to do fun things Mm -hmm. like that, but also bring as much education as we can. Absolutely. I think we even had TCI come in. I know Patantis comes in quite a lot to some of our sites. And I know last year I had Paula Royce come in and talk about human trafficking just because some of our students, they may be subject to that. So we do bring our community partners to talk about different things. And I know we work very closely with Divis. They also come in and talk about healthy relationships because that is a, uh, that's a component of parenting. We want to make sure that if they're not with the, you know, child's father or mother, that they still understand what a healthy relationship is and what it looks like. So how is Strong Tomorrow's funded? So majority of Strong Tomorrow's funding comes from the George Kaiser Foundation, right? No surprise. But we have been lucky enough for the last two and a half years to also receive federal monies, one being from the Pregnancy Assistance Fund, which is in danger right now of being snatched by the federal government. So um, you can write to the federal government and ask about that because that funding is set to go away in the spring. And then also the Office of Adolescent Health which is really a part of the Pregnancy Assistance Fund. But that one has an opportunity to be extended. It was, if you've been watching any federal news, um, it was the one that they tried to snatch as soon as our current leader took office. And there was a big lawsuit that made them have to put it back in place. I do remember that. (laughs) As a follower of federal news, (laughs) if someone wanted to get involved, how could they help? Well, money is always acceptable Um, and all of our funding is funneled through the Foundation for Tulsa Schools. Um, So our this program is funded separate from TPS's entire budget. Um, We actually came into into the district with funding to support the program, thanks to George Kaiser Family Foundation. And um, our grant officer, Kimberly Butler, is a big cheerleader for the program. She's also one of the co-founders. And then right now we have something going on for our students specifically to the holidays. Yes, it's through the YWCA Tulsa. It's the Wish Upon a Star Holiday Initiative. They are hoping to gather donations of 
either cash donations, money donations, or donations of particular items for our young parents to receive um, holiday assistance, which consists of a winter coat, gift card for mom, a baby book, and a toy. So we're hoping to gather um, more support around this initiative so we can make sure all of our students receive um, some type of holiday gift assistance before we go on winter break. And another partnership that we have with the YWCA is our doula program. So um, most of the times when you hear about doulas, uh, you you think about families that are more fluent and, and can afford that. And so we've been trying to um, introduce this practice to our students because we know that research also shows that um, when a woman works with a doula, um, mortality rates drop, breastfeeding increases, and C-sections decline. So we partnered with them in an organization called Health Connect One, which is an evidence-based model based out of Chicago. And um, the Y is the hub of what we're calling community doulas. And so we um, are getting ready to have a big train the trainers for people who are interested in training doulas coming up in a couple of weeks. But if you are interested in actually being a community doula and receiving the training, that will be coming probably at the end of January. So you should look out for the YW's website for that um, recruitment of community doulas. And then those community doulas go out and work with specific populations, including Strong Tomorrow's and other best partners. So you mentioned um, m- multiple different organizations that are you know, evidence-based. What what are your markers for success? I guess, how are you measuring that Strong Tomorrow's is making a difference? So being a part of a school district, I would say our biggest um, marker for success, success is graduation um, and attendance. And very early on, some of, to add to some more of the history, we started at Hale, um, as Casey said. At that time, the culture of Hale was a little bit different. Attendance rates were very low. Graduation rates were very low. But what we saw with the program is our graduation rates were pretty high and our attendance was like two percentage points away from the entire um, school population. And so while we were ecstatic about that, we were also asking ourselves, is it just that our program is that good or like are we just in a set up to be in a culture that makes it look that good, which is when we expanded the program to East Central. And that's when Joya came into the program and East Central at the time um, had a pretty stable culture. Um, well-respected leader in the school. And again, we found very positive results and so started to like really believe in the practice of what was happening with what what um, we were calling Strong Tomorrows at the time. Um, the other big thing is each one of those pillars that I talked about earlier have markers in them um, that the case managers are responsible for meeting. So like within the parent engagement one, as Casey talked about the brain development. So that's one of our markers that we have to make sure that students are learning about what it means for brain development within their own child. And of course, high school graduation, Joya came up with our counselor check-in that that the case managers do. And the whole thing is that with the we found very early on that students were being told what it took to graduate by different people and they may get three different stories and they thought they were on the right track. And at first we were thinking, do we really just need to be trained in what this means? But we didn't want to be another voice telling them something different. So Joya came up with the counselor check-in and it's basically a conversation between the counselor, the case manager and the student. And, um, The student needs to be present because it's all about getting the students buy in so that they know what's expected for them to graduate. And then there's no surprises. So uh, one of the things you mentioned about what one of the services that was kind of missing before was that the student could stay in their their home school. How important is that 
socialization and ability to stay in their school when they're keep them on track to attend and graduate? Well, it's really important because this past school year we identified, I think, like almost 290 expectant and parenting students in the TPS district. So it's really important to integrate this population into our public schools because they are there. And that's the numbers that we knew about. Um, and that doesn't mean we enrolled all of them, but those were the numbers that we identified, the, the young people. So it's really important for our public schools to have this kind of support available. And it's really important for our young um, parents to be in school with their peers. It helps them to feel more motivated. Um, it helps them to know that, you know, they are valued, that, yes, they have a child with them during school and it's going to bring about more challenges for them, but it's not impossible to finish school. And we also have another component of our program that we're still developing prevention pals or allies. We have like different names sometimes, but I, I like, I like prevention pals. I like, prevention I like alliteration. Pals, so. <laughs> it's an open door policy in all of our schools. Anyone can come in our office um, if they need referral information to get access to Free pregnancy testing, free STI testing, or free or low cost, low cost birth control. Um, if they need transportation assistance, we'll hook them up with youth services who can provide that free confidential service to get what they need. And so because we have this open door policy, it destigmatizes the space for strong tomorrows because you don't know who's coming in and out, who has a child, who doesn't. And we were expecting, like, do we need to monitor these students and how they interact with each other? But like at my site and probably some other sites, too, they come to support our young parents. They see the struggles. We don't expect our young parents to, you know, share their story so that way they can, you know, encourage other students to not do that. They take it upon themselves to teach other students in the school that this is a really hard path that they have ahead of them. Um, but they also want the students to see how hard they're working. And so it also helps with prevention as well. Well, prevention was going to be my next question because how, how does Strong Tomorrow sort of either run into or work with sort of the whatever the sexual education policy of TPS currently is? I don't know what that policy is. So, so loosely a policy, um, there was a board vote, and this is another hat that I wear within the district, that um, we all seventh graders and all ninth graders will receive some type of sex education. Um, right now we are doing positive prevention plus. Um, I make sure all of the case managers are trained in that, even though they probably will never teach the mm -hmm. curriculum. But I think it's important for them to have the perspective and understanding of what the students are getting since they are the go-tos in the school. Um the other big piece when you were talking about measures for success is prevention of subsequent pregnancies. So that's another one that we track. So um, they case managers are required to have at least one conversation about contraception a year with each of the students um, to talk to them about what are your plans after you have the baby? Are you going to get on any birth control? Let's talk about a reproductive life plan, not saying that you can't have any kids now, but what do you, what do you want for yourself? Um the other big thing I think that is important to call out is that a lot of people assume that every teen pregnancy is unplanned. And that is not true. We have students that are married or in long term um, relationships and have planned their babies. Maybe this is their second pregnancy and they're excited because, you know, the first one didn't come to um, full term. Um, so we are navigating and working on whatever 
is in the best interest of the student. Um, confidentiality is also another huge component of the program. When someone comes to one of the case managers and says, oh, I heard so-and-so was pregnant, um, it's not as easy as walking up to so-and-so and saying, so I heard you were pregnant type thing. <laughs> um, usually what the case managers will do is introduce themselves and what they do for the school and ask the student if they need any of their services or support. And then it's up to the student whether or not. Um, so we may um, hear confirm, quote unquote, from someone else. And then we just kind of watch that student from afar to see what's going to happen with the student. What are some other misconceptions that people have about the work you do and teen pregnancy in general? Pregnancy is a lot of times a symptom of trauma. Um, We've heard derogatory things uh, aimed at young parents, like why don't they keep their legs closed? And a lot of cases we've come across, like a lot that a lot more than we'd like to see or ever know, is that um, first time sexual experiences are not consensual. So we need to be as trauma informed as much as we can. And we also make sure our community partners are trauma informed and sensitive um, and not making any assumptions about anyone's circumstances. That's also in our program guidelines and expectations that we set at the beginning of every semester with students as we let them know this is a safe space for everyone. Um, This is a judgment free zone. Uh, We need to respect everyone's life circumstances because you do not live their life. You live your own life. Um, So we do a lot of education and bringing awareness to the different reasons why teen pregnancy comes about. What are the limitations that people put on them as they become pregnant or parents? Um, A good example of that is playing sports. So just because someone um, becomes pregnant does not mean that they can't play sports anymore. So that that's one that's probably one I get a lot of calls from from individuals within different schools. And I think um, people come from, you know, a good place of trying to take care of someone, but they don't recognize that they're also violating the person's rights, which is why the Title IX education is important. So if you had all the needed resources and support, what what's something that you would add to your program? I think we need more case managers. <laughs> um, so before Strong Tomorrow's, because Margaret Hudson um, was an extension of the district, there was really no um, conception of what this population looks like. And I still think we are on the road to figuring out what that look like, looks like. As Casey mentioned, we served around 290 last year, but we were not serving. There were three sites in the city that we did not touch last year. And what we found, so Joya Although housed at McLean, had a student transfer to Memorial at one time. And when she followed her to Memorial, I was like, yeah, you can go over there once a week. Well, seven other students came out of the woodworks and um, it continued to grow to. So now Memorial was like never on my priority list. We now have a case manager at Memorial. We don't know what that looks like. We're now venturing out to cover those other three sites. Mm -hmm. And so as this continues to grow, what we're starting to see, as they mentioned earlier, is that there probably will be another need for a case manager. But that's hard to tell because numbers can fluctuate. And what does that look like? Yeah. And we also have charter schools that have reached out to us and that I've gone and done Title IX trainings and also um, case managed serviced a student at one of the charter schools previously. And also we have to think about junior highs as well. Mm -hmm. So we're not just in high schools. We are also working in junior highs as well. 
And as far as resources, another piece of the program is what we call baby bonus bucks or daddy dollars. Um, so our students can earn incentives um, by coming to school on time, meeting their goals, whatever that looks like with them and their case manager, um, setting goals for bringing grades up in school, different things. And so then they can turn and use that to buy things either for themselves or their child. So boys and girls mature differently. Teenage boys necessarily going to make a large generalization here, not the most mature. How in your interactions with the fatherhood coordinators and whatnot, do you deal with the fact that scientifically boys mature a little bit slower? It's emotional for them, even though it's different because they are not physically pregnant. Right. But so how does that come into play in sort of your interactions with them or how you build that curriculum you were talking about, or the, the programs you do for teenage boys and high school age boys? So one of something I have observed the past few years of doing this work and working with dads is it doesn't seem real to them during pregnancy because they're not physically carrying the baby. So when the baby arrives, I have not seen a medium. It either clicks for them and they drastically improve their behaviors are on their A game. We had a student who would skip all the time. And when we sat him down, we're like, where do you go every day? He's like, I go to the bathroom. And we're like, well, do you have a health issue? Maybe we should go to the doctor. And he's like, oh, I'm just skipping. And so once the baby came, he actually was judging other students for not turning in doctor's notes (laughs) to excuse their absences. His attendance was nearly perfect. His GPA was nearly perfect. He went on to Tulsa Tech. Um, So it can be a game changer for a lot of dads. The other side of the coin is that it um, locks them in to the high risk behaviors Mm -hmm. where they're still skipping school. They're not passing their classes. They're at risk of dropping out where they do drop out. They're kind of stuck in that school to prison pipeline um, track. So that's what I've seen throughout the years. And it, it does come down to a lot of things like maturity level, support at home, individual and systemic root causes. It's it's very complicated to work with young parents, but especially with dads sometimes. I think something else that probably we've seen surface a couple of times is the the dad will get pressure either from his own parents or the the partner's parents to to get a job and work. And so like I remember one student who um, was working at a fast food place, had worked his way up to management, which was great. But we then had the the challenge of like talking to him about like long term. It might be great now as, you know, a 17 year old, but long term, what is this money going to look like in supporting a family and how much more could you get? And then we also like have found that to get into some of the top management with the within fast food joints that you have to have in high school diploma. And so trying to spin that on its head. Um, but I think I don't know if I would. And it, maybe it is tied to maturity. I feel like a lot of what we deal with on the dad side is behavior issues of them acting out. Um, and so Mario spends a lot of time and. So we, we also have a policy within the program because, um, again, our students are high risk for dropping out that case managers have to try a minimum of how long? What is it two months to try yes. to get them back in school? Um, and I think that's even more important when it comes to our dads because he deals with it a lot more. And, and that's why they float because they spend a lot of time out mm-hmm. doing home visits. There's 
one particular student who was skipping school, um, had gotten expelled from school. Mario was able to get him back in school. And then Mario just pops up at the school one day and he's not there. So Mario goes to his house and he's calling him. Oh, I didn't feel good today. Okay, well, I'm sitting on your porch. Well, student had to confess that he was at the movies. Some movie had just come out, Avengers, mm-hmm. I think it was. But different things like that. But I think I it, it takes <laughs> <laughs> it takes that type of commitment to to be flexible and to go out. I mean, one of our huge success stories, because even though they've talked about the team within the school, not everybody in which we come into contact with it, with our students are on our student side. So I think it's important to highlight that part that they have to navigate. But we had a student who was pushed out of his home school. Um, we ended up so he kind of fell off for a couple of months and then just out the blue, um, he said he found his fa- fatherhood coordinator's card and called him. So we were able to get him and we were up against a time frame of him being able be- getting ready to age out of the school system. So we were able to get him enrolled into an alternative setting. And now he's kind of become our walking poster child. Mario loves to tell a story. We highlighted him on a couple of different things, but he did graduate. And um, so we also do summer programming in the summer. We we try to and with our summer programming, we try to make it more of a family oriented event. So we got to do a behind the scenes tour of the gathering place before it opened. And this student happened to be with us. Well, um, Tony gave him a job on the spot and he's now worked his way up working there. So it's awesome. It seems like there are a lot of intersection between social justice issues and teen pregnancy. How do you kind of navigate that? Do you do you do any direct advocacy work related to it or do you have to sort of advocate through the teen parents? Well, I can only speak for the site that I'm at. So social justice is a real passion of mine, especially when it comes to our students. And that. so what <laughs> what I do is I teach my students about empowerment and elevating your voice and your cause. And so I feel like our biggest advocates we can do and the biggest thing we can do is teach our students what is the proper way to be treated and what that does what does that look like? How do you respond to that? So that when they're disrespected or their rights are not being appreciated or given to them, how to go ahead appropriate to elevate your voice in order to be heard. And we also work with awareness with some of our community partners and also the administration at the school. If we feel like we keep seeing the same thing over and over again that is impacting our student negatively, we give the opportunity to the student and we talk to them. Do you want to handle this? Or do you want me to handle this? <laughs> and so we have a discussion because we also we always want to stay student centered and not take the power away from the student in order to handle the situation appropriately. So a lot of times with social justice, it's really just highlighting the issue, the root cause and getting to that and addressing it in an appropriate manner. But giving our students the opportunity to go ahead and step in that state, um, that space to say, hey, this isn't cool. This is what you did to me. This is how it impacted me. And this is how I would like it to change. I know Casey has done wonderful work at Hale, also talking about policies and protocol and teaching the students. So a lot of the work that we do when we talk about social justice, you have to teach the students and they they love it because a lot of times with them being a student parent, they are treated as a child, but people respect expect them to be an adult. And that too is very confusing for them because they're just like, I am responsible for a whole human being, but you don't even want to listen to me when I'm talking to you about my attendance and why I was late. You still want to call my mother. And so we have to teach them the appropriate way to handle situations. And and the parent voice is also another one that we're constantly butting heads up against. So 
Um, this year, we introduced something called Strong Families Universities. And the goal behind that is to educate the the parents of the students on the importance. Why do we talk about high quality child care? Um, why, you know, Educare may be a better option because sometimes we are up against a parent telling a student to drop out because they need to take care of the baby. And we're like, wait a minute, we got you a spot over here at the center. Brain development. So Joya's point I'm talking about because the parents will themselves start treating the students as adults. And we know that brain development is not completely done until your mid 20s. And so just because they spit a baby out does not mean that now they're functioning as a 30 year old and that they can make all these decisions. So we try to use that platform as a way to talk to parents about the reason behind the messages that we are sending to the students. So hopefully that they will have the same understanding and get the same message at home is what they're getting at school. And I love the aspect with our case managers. I know when I worked at East Central, we're able to step inside of the home of the student. And I feel like a lot of the school, we've stepped away from a time where we are connected with our community and with the families that are in the school buildings. We're able to actually go into the homes. And if we're seeing that kind of behavior at the homes, go and talk to the parent and be like, hey, can I have a moment with you? And we talk about what's really going on at the home front to see how we can go ahead and provide resources. I know we're not supposed to case manage the parent, but sometimes the parents need resources in order to appropriately support our students. Because I think one thing that we have seen with successful students is they have people behind them that are supporting them. Support is such a huge factor for a lot of our students. And if they have a good understanding with those who support them, then they usually go very far. And we've seen the opposite, unfortunately, that our students who usually fall to the wayside, they usually have no one there supporting them and being a cheerleader. And so we feel like that is a really important part of Strong Tomorrows. And what we can bring is that level of support. So over the last decade or so, there's been Strong Tomorrows, there's James Inc. There's a couple of take control initiative. There's a lot of organizations around pregnancy and teen pregnancy in the state of Oklahoma. Cause it was something we were at the bottom of five top, to- depending on how you look. That's at true. It. Yeah. <laughs> we're either the best or the worst where, how have the numbers improved since like, there's a lot of attention and, and funding and energy around either giving people the knowledge to not get pregnant when they're a teen, or if they do making sure that they are able to stay in school and keep their lives together and raise a healthy child. So like overall, how where are we ranked now? So we're still number three because as as Oklahoma gets better, the rest of the nation is getting better. But again, a lot of the funding that has curbed a lot of the statistics across the nation come from those federal dollars that I was mentioning earlier. And um, with those all right, being, your senators, yeah, yes, with all those being pulled, we're now at this like cliff of where everything could topple and go back the other way. And while we're number three in the nation, we we were, we've teeter-tottered between one and two over the last five years. But in getting to where we are now, Tulsa County itself is leading the charge and what that decline looks like because of all these partnerships and collaborations to what you were speaking of. We recently were shared um, a statistic about subsequent pregnancies among ages 21 to 24 year old women now um, are showing, I think it's a 40 something percent. I told you no statistics. I should have brought my phone in to cheat increase on now having their GED or high school diplomas. And so that has been an uptick from 2016 to 2018 when looking at numbers. And so I would like to say that our case managers with Strong Tomorrow's had a lot to do with that uptick. <laughs> so, yeah, so state by state rankings might have changed. But so numbers overall from 
20 years ago, 10 years ago, have decreased by a percentage that we would know if we had numbers in front of us. <laughs> Correct. But, yes. Exactly. All right. <laughs> numbers to be inserted later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've been going on for at least 45 minutes now. Yeah. So I think should we, I think we should transition to our closing, right? Yes. Yeah. You have another question. No, I, I think, I think we covered the plugs earlier. So unless, unless oh, there's anything else that, you know, any, any events coming up, you mentioned the, the YWCA partnership. Is there anything else that, that people should know about? We're always taking donations. Like we said earlier, mm-hmm. monetary how, how donations. How can they donate? You can send your donations to Omari <laughs> at the Enrollment Center. Foundation for Tulsa Schools. But you can also go to um, TulsaSchools.org and, and do a search for Strong Tomorrows and you'll find contact information. Uh, with one of those federal grants that we had a couple of years ago, we were able to buy a huge stockpile of diapers, which are beginning to dwindle away. So different things that diapers, wipes, blankets that you know um, babies mm-hmm. need or students would need. Those type of things are always, we've had churches come together and have little quilting clubs or whatever and give us hats and all those different things. So all those type of things are welcomed and uh, just, you can reach us through the website. And I feel like snacks are oh, a really yes. big component. <laughs> Our students will tell you that, mm. you know, that's probably why they come visit us a lot of times. No, I'm just kidding. But that is a you're plus. Allowed to, you're allowed to give them snacks? Yes. <laughs> the person in the house who shall not be named is not allowed to give her students snacks anymore. So so we mm. give snacks. All right. Well, I will have animal crackers in this house if you, if you want them. So please. Um, bottled water, Gatorade, ginger ale to help with nausea. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're open to that. Also gift cards because we like to do incentives at our site. So if we notice, you know, some decline in student progress, we'll try to motivate them. Like if you can have the most increase in your GPA by this time, we'll do a drawing. So Yes, we would greatly appreciate that kind of support. Something else that we've talked about and not really gotten off the ground is a lot of our students only have pictures of their babies and families and their phones. And so we're in our day and age coming up, you know, our moms would get us dressed up and we go to pennies or wherever (laughs) and take a family portrait. A lot of our students don't have a professional picture of themselves and their child or their family. And so we've talked about getting photographers to come in and donate some time Mm -hmm. to do that with our students. Um, We've talked about using it as an incentive, maybe having it at our holiday party. So if there's any photographers out there that'd be interested in partnering with us, that would be awesome. What was that place at the mall you'd go? Moto Photo. Was it Moto Photo? Oh, they, no, they no. Dress- You're thinking of the one where they do like all oh, the, egg, the glamour big shots. Glamour shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was uh, thinking of just getting the yeah. booth. No, no. Like, <laughs> Does that even exist anymore? No, I, no and shots? good. <laughs> so, it should not. No. Uh, th- I was just like, I was thinking of like, oh yeah, glamour shots, mm-hmm. but that's not what we're talking about at all. We know some photographers we can reach out to. Yes. So. Or even senior pictures for our mm-hmm. senior yes. graduates. We attempted to do it on our own, but we are not mm-hmm. photographers, <laughs> no matter how much money we spend on the camera. We're right. using our phones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know James Inc. trains people on how to be photographers. So they do. you have those people come take pictures. Right. So crossover. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So there are three of you. So this might take a while. But <laughs> this is this is when we we ask you to look around our nerd our nerd cave and look for something that calls to you or that you're like what is that please explain it to me music saved my life all right so <laughs> Joya chose the the Jinx High School uh, student painting which we will t- we will take a picture of you with it so that'll be fun I've been looking at your medals over there mm-hmm. and the different runs you've done. I personally do not enjoy running, but that is an inspiration for if I ever decide to run. 
If, if it wasn't for the, again, person who should not be named, I would just have thrown those away by now, but, <laughs> but you know, you're paying $45. You might as well keep, keep the thing they give you. So yes. how well, about you? The victory poster is what I've been looking at. Online. Oh yeah. I got those at, I think a com a comic convention in Boston. And this one artist just made these social media posters like they were World War II propaganda posters. And I love them so much. <laughs> there was a Google plus one that I did not buy. And I wish, I wish I had, cause that would be a collector's item because Google <laughs> plus is dead, but I just love the, you know, I, I studied a lot of World War II history in college and I just love how good they are as propaganda posters. So and then I also noticed my pretty over here. Oh, from the Lord of the Rings. Go. Gollum, Gollum or Smeagol, depending on which part of the story we're in. Yes. Yeah, there's a couple golems in here. And I was wondering, is that a Roomba under your TV or what is that? In the middle there? <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. So that that's a special oh, okay. case that holds a history of the federation from star trek like it's not even the book it's the thing that holds the book it ah. it, it used to like make a sound of had batteries in it or whatnot yeah uh, i think john luke picard talks out of it or something but yeah that's what that is now so, I know. something else i wasn't allowed to throw away <laughs> so well i want i want to thank all three of you for joining us today this was incredibly enlightening and very fascinating and i i wish you i wish you and all of your your students much much success Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes. yes. Thank you for having us. I hope you all enjoyed our conversation with Amari, Joya, and Casey from Strong Tomorrows. If you're looking for a way to help this holiday season, you can donate gifts to the YMCA's Wish Upon a Star initiative, which runs through December 16th. The Wish Upon a Star holiday initiative provides gifts to teen moms who may otherwise go without gifts during this holiday season. You can like both Strong Tomorrows and Podcasts for Good on Facebook. And please remember to subscribe and most importantly, share this podcast with your friends and network. Get done, Telsa. You can tell it's recording because the button's red instead of green. <laughs> well, that'll be the outtake for this one. <laughs> Thank you, all three of us. All, th all three of us? Psh, I'll try that again. All, th all, all three five of, of us. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to thank all five of us yeah, for we, having this conversation. We did great. Yeah. <laughs> great job, everyone. <laughs>